MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. Ah, it's one of the best times of the year, folks. We've got the Masters ongoing. We've got NBA and NHL playoffs coming soon. But most importantly, we've got opening day here. And on the north side, we have a Cubs game to look forward to. Well, maybe more so their opponent has this game to look forward to. The Cubs, not so much. But welcome into it, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Chicago CityCast presented by Bet Rivers, I'm Danny Burke, your host. Of course, you could always follow me on Twitter at Danny Burke Five. And I'm joking about the Cubs not looking forward to it as much. Well, because we know the expectations not nearly as high as what the Brewers have their expectations set at for this season. We'll get into that momentarily, but we'll preview this game very quickly for the Cubs and the Brewers because I know I'm recording this a little bit late depending on when it gets posted, when it gets released, when you may be listening to it. The game may have already started. It's starting at 1.20 p.m. Central Time, always an opening day schedule for the Cubs. So we'll get into that. We'll also talk about the other Major League Baseball futures that I did discuss on Rush Hour last night. Remember, you can catch Rush Hour Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time on VEASAN.com and many other outlets. And aside from talking about the futures, we will also preview the Blackhawks game tonight. They get maybe a winnable opponent in the Kraken. But also at the same time, Blackhawks could be too big of a favorite. So you probably got to fade them or nothing. And then you look in the second part of this episode, I will be giving you my Masters plays. Yes, I realize that it has started, but I want to tell you what I'm sweating. You could tell me what you're sweating, and we could look for a way to maybe in-game bet the Masters. Yes, of course you can do that. 
and we will recap the Bulls' disastrous loss once again. Is it surprising? No. Does it still make you mad? Yes. Is it okay to feel that way? Absolutely. So a lot to get to on this edition of the Chicago City Cast. But let's kick things off with the opening day action on the north side. The Cubs hosting the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, first things first, it's funny. So my friends are saying, hey, you know, we should go to opening day because they're nurses and they have the day off. They have weird schedules, right? And I am not able to because, of course, I got to do this show. I got to prepare for rush hour, and I would have loved to go. And I'm asking him, I'm like, hey, so are you guys still going? He's like, yeah, I'm about to look at the ticket prices. And I'm saying like this morning being Thursday morning. And he's looking at him. He's like, wow, tickets are ranging anywhere from 8 to $12. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, 8 to $12. I was like, oh, are they just absolutely crappy seats? He's like, well, I mean, yeah, some of the $8 ones are. But general admission to the bleachers are as low as $12. I'm like, are you kidding me? Look, I get that the Cubs don't have as much optimism around the squad. I understand it's April. It's a crappy day. And I don't know, the lockout maybe swayed some things away from fans. But I can't ever recall an opening day being that cheap for the Cubs. It didn't matter how bad they were. It didn't matter how bad the weather was. The crowd was always jam-packed. I always think about that Kosuke Fukudome opening day when he had, what, the three-run three, three run tying home run or whatever it was. And that was an absolute crap day, but the crowd was ruckus as hell. Now you got some new exciting pieces, Marcus Stroman, Sai Suzuki, and look, I don't think it's going to be a winning recipe immediately this season, but I still think those are players to at least keep selling tickets. But I guess you got to be sold a little bit first to see how they do, and then it'll ease into it. It's nothing to freak out about. If anything, I'm actually pretty content with it because that means cheaper admittance to these games, and I don't think fans are going to complain about that considering you look at some of the other prices for things and places at ball games, and, uh, well, you're uh, not too happy with it. So to see really cheap tickets for the Cubs could be a good season to go to a handful of games, to say the least. But let's preview the betting angle for this game. We talked about this the other day. The Brewers were pretty low, Right? I mean, they were opening up as minus 145 at Bat Rivers. The Cubs plus 125, and the total opened eight. Now, the total being that low was a uh, a little bit of an exaggeration because it's kind of risky to put the total out that early in the first place when it comes to Wrigley because it's all about the wins, right? And there's this Twitter account called Wrigley Field Wins or Wrigley Wins. Uh, let me make sure I could. Yeah, at Wrigley Wins on Twitter, and it always tweets out what wind conditions you're getting. They have an app as well, but this account's saying that, yeah, it's going to be 43 degrees and an overcast, and the wind is blowing out to center field at 16 miles per hour. Huge. That is huge for Wrigley Field games. It's all, I mean, it's one of the craziest ballparks, if not the craziest, that pertains to how the weather is shaping out which way the wind is blowing coming off the lake. And if it's blowing out, you can assume there's probably going to be a decent amount of runs. Total opened eight. Now we're seeing it at nine, very slightly shaded to the over. As for the money line, we told you the Brewers open minus 145. Well, guess what? Now they're minus 180 at Bet Rivers. The Cubs were plus 125. Now they are plus 155. If you want to entertain the run line, with Milwaukee, it's minus 118. If you want to take the run in the hook with the Cubs, it is minus 105. What is the pitching matchup consisting of? You've got Corbin Burns, who had a stellar year last year, 
And really, I mean, you just got to ask yourself, is this going to be a constant performance out of Corbin Burns or is this going to be something that was a fluke? And I obviously don't think it's a fluke, but look, he won the Cy Young last year, him and Robbie Ray in their respective leagues. So uh, Corbin Burns against the Cubs with this Cubs team that offensively we have some questions. Yeah, maybe you're not looking forward to this matchup as much, and that's why people are trusting the Brewers. Last year, Corbin Burns had a win-loss record of 11-5, and an ERA of 2.43, an XFIP of 2.30, and a WHIP of 0.94. Now, I know what you're probably saying. You're like, Danny, what the hell do all those definitions, all those numbers, what, what does this mean? What are you talking about? Well, when we're handicapping baseball, and I talk about this on Rush Hour from time to time, and since we'll be having this podcast now, I don't, I mean, we didn't really cover baseball too much when we started because we were more focused on football at that point. I, I, I guess I didn't have time to go over the definitions, or I'm saying when we started this, we didn't go over the definitions for the terms that I use for handicapping baseball, judging pitching, all of those things. And even if I did, well, it was a while ago. So really quick, I'll kind of give you a brief guide here for some of the terms I'll be using. You know what win-loss is. You know what ERA is. For XFIP, XFIP is the most crucial stat, I would argue, in determining what we can expect out of a pitching result. So XFIP at Fangraphs, by the way, all my numbers coming from Fangraphs, amazing site for baseball. So XFIP is expected fielding independent of pitching. And what it means is it is a statistic that estimates a pitcher's run prevention independent of the performance of their defense. It's based on outcomes that do not involve defense, such as strikeouts, walks, hit by pitch. However, fly balls are allowed. And I say that because when you look at FIP instead of XFIP, the fly balls are not allowed, I believe, is what the difference is. Um, so, yeah, that's what you're seeing for XFIP. It uses those factors to determine and approximate a pitcher's ERA, assuming average outcomes on balls in play and a league average home run per fly ball ratio. It differs from FIP in the sense that it normalizes a pitcher's home runs allowed based on their fly ball rate rather than simply using the raw number of home runs allowed. Again, I, those are just numbers all over the place. But if you don't really understand it, what you should just get from it is that it's a better determining metric for how a pitcher is expected to perform. For example, you can look at the league average. 3.80. 3.80 is the average XFIP, okay? That's what you're going to see for the average number. Now, if you're getting a pitcher that's throwing about 3.50 with their XFIP, that is above average. If a pitcher has a 3.20 XFIP, that is very good. It's great is what they listed. If it's 2.90 or lower, that is excellent. Corbin Burns was 2.30 last season, folks, hence why he was the NL Cy Young winner. All right, if you're 4.10, you're below average. If you're 4.40, you are poor. If you're 4.70, you are awful. Kyle Hendricks last season, folks, was 4.61. He had an ERA of 4.77, a win-loss record of 14-7, and and then a whip of 1.35. And whip is just walks and hits per innings pitched. Or walks plus hits per innings pitched, excuse me. So it's just a measurement of how many base runners and pitchers allow... 
uh, excuse me, a measurement of how many base runners a pitcher allows per inning. Remember, though, it's not incredibly deep-driven and reliable because of defensive factors that may allow runners on base because it's not always the pitcher's fault, right? Because your defense may have errors. That's why XFIP is such a useful tool because it does not put that into account. It is strictly the pitcher himself. Now, for whip, an average whip is 1.30. Remember, Corbin Burns was 0.94. That is even lower than excellent, which is one flat. Kyle Hendricks was 1.35, and he would be in the category of slightly below average. So looking even further, into, and, and there's so many more metrics, by the way, that we could get into, but XFIP is really the main one that I determine. And if you see a big discrepancy being, if a pitcher has an ERA, say, of like 2.89, and you see their XFIP of like four flat, that's telling you that this pitcher is due for some regression. So if you see those discrepancies, be leery of it and realize that something ain't adding up here. So that's kind of a common mistake in betting baseball and just a fallacy relying strictly on ERA. And you don't have to only look at the ones I throw out there, but I do think XFIP is the most important. And there's so many other ones that you can look at as well. Uh, Sierra, Skill Interactive ERA. It's one of the newest ones and it doesn't ignore balls in play, but attempts to explain why certain pitchers are more successful at limiting hits and preventing runs. It's more of a prediction of, uh, of it's, it's technically backward looking. It's a backward looking ERA estimator, not a forward looking projection system. So, you know, some things are used in good situations. Some you could kind of hint, some you can really use. And again, what I use is XFIP is my top one. I have an MLB betting guide with these definitions. Maybe I'll tweet out the link at some point. But hey, even if you want more info, I mean, go to Fangraphs. They got all the info in the glossary there too. But into this pitching matchup more so. I get that Kyle Hendricks is a Cubs staple at this point, and the reason he's getting the opening day nod is because he has been here from back in, what, 2015 at this point? But what you have to realize with Kyle Hendricks, he ain't good anymore. He's not. And to me, he's almost, he's not going to be an auto fade, but he's going to be a guy I'm going to be looking to fade on a consistent basis this season. Look, I'm not a Cubs hater. I'm actually a diehard Cubs fan. My room, my childhood room growing up is literally painted Wrigley Field. I cried tears of joy. I cried sadness with this team. Uh, this team was, I literally would just live and die with this squad as a kid. And then obviously growing up too. But the older I've gotten and the more experienced into the betting world I've also gotten, I've learned to accept that I can fade a Cubs team, that I can be objective and profit off of them, whether it's betting on them or whether it's fading them. And I've accepted it. It took me a while to want to fade them, but I finally did it. And look, if you want to be successful in betting in general, you got to have that objective, unbiased aspect against your team from time to time, or you could just ignore it, I suppose. But if there's good betting opportunities, of course, you want to take advantage of it. And I think you can take advantage of it fading Hendricks. Look at the numbers. Since 2015, we could just look at his XFIP, for example. In 2015, had a 3.25 XFIP. Then in 2016, had a 3.59. So he regressed a little, but still very solid. 2017, 3.76. All right, you're seeing a trend. It's getting higher and higher each year. 2018, 3.87. Still higher. 2019, 4.26, huge leap to getting even worse for Hendricks. Then 2020, he only played in a handful of games because that was a shortened season, only pitched 81 innings, but he had a 3.78 X FIP, so naturally it wasn't going to be as bad. 
And then last season, folks, his highest yet, 4.61 XFIP. Just because we're diehard Cubs fans, just because Hendricks did great things in 2015 and 2016 and he's had fun, fantastic outings, he's got a lot of movement on his pitches, doesn't mean he is a reliable pitcher. The league has caught up to him year after year after year. His juice has been lost year after year after year. Yes, he can have a great outing a few times a season, but the other times, it's batting practice for these squads. We talked about this the other day. They just tee off him because he doesn't have high velocity. All right? He's regressed every single season, barring the pandemic year. And last season, he was actually worse at Wrigley Field with a 5.24 ERA compared to 4.28 on the road. How about XFIP? 4.75 at home, 4.46 on the road. He is worse at Wrigley, and especially since the wind is blowing out, you gotta think the Brewers can feast off him. Oh, and conversely, Corbin Burns was actually better on the road. 1.94 ERA on the road, 2.85 at home. 1.98 XFIP on the road for Corbin Burns, whereas at home he was 2.58. Long story short, the Brewers probably win this game. And if you're listening to it after the game and I look like the idiot, well, so be it. That's going to happen plenty of times throughout the season and infinite more times throughout my life. But I do like the Brewers in this game. Hate the idea of laying minus 180 against the Cubs on opening day. So I'm not going to get the 180. I actually did take a little bit of a piece when it was in like the minus 160s in case it was going to get higher. But if you do want to fade the Cubs, I mean, look, I would just go the run line with the Brewers minus 118 at this point. Or if the Cubs do get out to an early lead, look for an in-game bet on Milwaukee because they got a great bullpen. The Cubs bullpen, I think, is going to be awful, but I don't know. We'll see. And I don't know what to expect out of this Cubs hitting. I hate betting against the Cubs. Don't get me wrong. And I don't think I've ever bet against them on opening day. But the Brewers are the better team. They're the big favorites to win the division. The Cubs, yes, they may be undervalued. We have discussed it. But I don't want to trust Kyle Hendricks when the wind is blowing out against the former Cy Young winner. No chance. Line movement incredibly going toward the Milwaukee Brewers. I agree with it. I think the Brewers get the job done, folks. So unfortunately, I think the Cubs lose on opening day. But hey, bright side, they will be undervalued in some spots. We'll be able to bet on them then. And we'll be able to get into Wrigley Field for cheap tickets, hopefully. All right, so that's the preview for the Cubs and Brewers matchup today. Um, really quick, because again, I'm trying to get the show released before the game starts. I wanted to talk about some of the futures that I did pull the trigger on. I talked about it last night on Rush Hour, so if you want to see it, go to vsin.com or iHeartRadio. You can get a longer segment on it. But I bet the Padres 18-1 to to win the World Series. They got a great pitching staff. They just traded Chris Paddock before I started recording this. They traded into the Twins. But aside from that, they got Mike Clevenger, Sean Manaya, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell, you Darvish. I understand they underperform not only with their pitching, but with their hitting. But they have arguably the most lethal starting rotation if they play like they're supposed to. They also brought on Luke Voigt to play first base. Now, Tatis will be missing a chunk of the season to begin with, and they're in a brutal division. So, yes, you may get better value on the Padres if you wait. I get it. However, what if they actually stay afloat? What if they do pretty well with the absence of Tatis? Then the odds will even decrease more so because they're like, man, they, they're doing this well in this tough division and they still got Tatis coming back? Man, we got to adjust these accordingly. The Padres have some of the most talent on the roster in comparison to the rest of Major League Baseball. In 18-1, 
seems like a huge amount of value on this team. I get it. They underperformed. They stunk in the second half. If they can put it together with a new manager in Melvin, the organization's going all in. I think looking back, 18 to 1 is going to be a steal. So I snagged the Padres at 18 to 1. Let's go to the NL East. I'm looking at the Phillies. Their win totals 85 and a half. Last year they were 82 and 80. They added my boy Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos, two Cubbies favorites. Uh, they got a starting rotation of Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola, Zach Eflin, Ranger Suarez, and Kyle Gibson. Suarez could be a big addition. Eflin is eh, Gibson is eh, but Nola and Wheeler have the capabilities of being above average pitchers. You got Knievel in the bullpen, and you got Brad Hand, maybe a little bit over their prime, but still could be solid. You got some good hitters, though. JT Real Muto, Reese Hock, uh, uh, Hoskins, excuse me, Segura, Didi Gregorius, uh, Camargo, Schwarber, Castellanos, and of course the MVP winner, Bryce Harper. In the NL East, I think the Braves take a step back. You lose Freeman. Yeah, you get Acuna back and you bring on Matt Olson, but I'm not as bullish on the Braves. The Mets dealing with injuries, naturally, like they always do. They did bring on Scherzer, but the Mets are still the Mets. The Marlins might incrementally get a tad bit better as they have done these past couple seasons with their young pitching and young talent, and I don't think the Nationals are going to be anything good. So you could bet the Phillies to make or to win the division, excuse me, at plus 350. But it's not the greatest value. It's solid in comparison to the rest of the division. That's the only bet I would make for that division. But what I like for a little bit more security, aside from the win total, aside from their odds to win the division, I bet them to make the playoffs, yes, minus 120. Consider that the postseason is expanded. And consider what they did last year and that they should only get better, you would think, on paper from what they did last year. So if they could get over their win total, you know, 86, 87 wins, maybe it's not enough to win the division. So you cross out the plus 350, and heck, who knows? It's such a long season, you may get better odds as the season progresses. But I like the Phillies to make the postseason. I don't want to dabble with the win total. And maybe they stay under it, but because of the expanded postseason, they still find a way in. I don't know. I like it. I found a price of minus 120. I think we see Philadelphia in the postseason this year. So I bet them to make the playoffs the yes at minus 120. Final bet that I made preseason, the Oakland A's under 69 and a half wins minus 135. Yes, last year, 86 and 76, but they dished off everybody. Sean Manaya to the Padres. Matt Chapman to the Blue Jays. Matt Olson to the Braves. Chris Bassett to the Mets. They are tanking, and we can see it. Every bottom team in, the, in their respective division last year, except the Twins in the AL Central, stayed under this win total of 69.5. I thought that was interesting, so I thought, okay, what about 2019? And by the way, I'm saying this because naturally I expect the A's will be at the bottom of the AL West. Now also, looking even further into it, 2019, same deal. Only one bottom team in their respective division went over 69 and a half wins, and that was the Padres, and they barely did it, okay? They got 70 wins. What about 2018? Every bottom team in the division went under. So the chances that they're the one team, or they're a team in general to go over this, assuming they end up bottom of the American League West, I don't know. Doesn't seem too likely. Rangers have a higher win total than the A's do, all right? That's why I think the A's will also be lower. The Rangers will be a little bit better than them. They're not going to be great, but they'll be better than the A's. The Mariners could be a playoff team. The Angels, if they stay healthy, we know their capabilities. And the Astros are still the Astros. So I'm taking the A's under 69 and a half wins. They are on full on tank mode. 
But that's what we're rocking with for baseball betting. A's under 69 and a half wins. Phillies to make the postseason minus 120. And the Padres as our World Series bet at 18 to 1. Don't feel like you have to rush these in right now, though, folks. It is such a long season, and there will be many, many other opportunities to get involved in the futures department throughout the course of this summer. Sometimes not better value, sometimes a lot better value, but also what's important is that you know and have an established mindset and view of how these teams are performing so you get a better idea of what may come to fruition. All right, let's switch over to hockey now. We do have a Blackhawks game to preview this evening. They are taking on the Seattle Kraken and currently the Blackhawks, the minus 150 favorite, folks. How about it? The Kraken plus 128, total at six and a half, juice a little bit on the over, minus 113 at Bat Rivers. Total open six and a half, hasn't moved too much. However, the Blackhawks did open minus 164, and you have seen some love go toward the Kraken. They were plus 135, now they're plus 128. And remember, the Blackhawks were minus 164. Now you see them minus 150. Puck line, Blackhawks minus one and a half are plus 165. If you think Seattle can lose by one or less, it is minus $2. Seattle is on the second leg of a back-to-back. They fell victim to the Blues on the road 4-1 to last evening. Chicago. They are enduring a five-game losing uh, five-game losing streak right now, excuse me, and it's one of the worst losing streaks. I mean, just because of the way they have lost these games is more than impressive, to say the least. Can you trust either of these teams? Of course you can, and I really think you shouldn't bet this game. But if you do want to bet it, why wouldn't you take the plus money, right? Uh, the Kraken, look. No, they're a terrible team, and we all know this. I don't have anything good to say about the Seattle Kraken as of this point, nor should you. I don't even, I mean, they had, I don't I don't know. I mean, look, they obviously, people wanted them to be the Golden Knights. They were the complete opposite in their first year for an expansion team. By the way, Dreger was in net last night, so it should be Philip Grubauer, their number one, although he's not playing like a number one. But that's also because Seattle stinks. But again, I mean, you could say Seattle's building towards something. I'm not an expert in rosters and hockey, so I can't vouch for that. But again, I, I think there would only be two ways to play this game, in my opinion. And that would be you take the plus money on the Blackhawks minus a goal and a half. If you like Chicago, that is plus 165. Or you take the Kraken on the money line plus 128. I don't think you want to lay a price with two crappy teams at this point in the year. It's tough to bet on bad teams in general, but especially when they have nothing to play for, and especially with one of them is enduring the craziest losing streak. And I say crazy, again, just because of how they have lost a couple of these games. Now they have played twice. Chicago won at Seattle earlier this year, 4-2, and they also lost in Seattle, 3-2, in a shutout. Statistical-wise, Chicago averaging 2.63 goals per game. Seattle averages about 2.6, and they both allow 3.5 per contest. Kevin Lankinen should be starting for the Blackhawks. He is 4, 10, and 6. 3.61 goals against average and a save percentage of 88.8%. At home, yes, he is a little bit better than he is on the road, but it still ain't too great. He is 3, 2, and 2. 3.17 goals against average, and a save percentage of 90%. However, he has lost his last four starts. 
Philip Grubauer for Seattle. Overall this year, he is 15, 28, and 5. 3.2 goals against average, 88.8% with his saves, and one shutout. And that one shutout has come on the road where he is abysmal. 5, 14, and 2. 3.3 goals against average, 89.3% with his saves. Again, not great on the road. He's been a little bit better at home. Versus Chicago, he did tend the pipes in those two starts, uh, in those two games, rather. One and one, five goals he allowed throughout two games, 2.48 goals against average. Out of 45 shots, he saved 40 of them, equating to a save percentage of 89%. So, hey, maybe you get Grubauer here. Third time against the Blackhawks, he's done fairly well. Lankinen has not been good, but he has been a little bit better at home. But also the Blackhawks are just in no man's land right now for how they should play and how we can expect them to play. So again, only look at plus money paths to betting this game. Realistically, the lines move it against the Blackhawks, and I get it. Why wouldn't it? Who wants to lay north of minus 160 with Chicago regardless of who it's against? I don't care if it's against a college team, a high school team. I ain't trusting Chicago. So it's got to be the cracking on the money line or nothing. I'm not saying I'm betting it, but if you wanted to get involved, that's the only way I would suggest. But not touching anything with two crap teams in hockey as of this point. If you do want more hockey action, though, make sure you check out Rush Hour tonight, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. All right, coming back here for the second part of this episode, I want to tell you who I bet for the Masters. I know it's too late, but you can also always get involved with the in-game. I'm saying too late in terms of the value that we got. Hey, maybe, who knows, you will get better because of how their performance has been. But I still wanted to tell you who we got just so you know. You could see who I'm sweating out and why I'm bitching about certain guys on Twitter. And then I'll also recap or really rather end the show with recapping the Bulls' uh, performance last night against the Celtics and just our overall thoughts on the dumpster fire that is your Chicago Bulls. So stick around. All of that coming next here on the Chicago CityCast. No football? No problem, because BetRivers Sportsbook serves up tennis, soccer, hockey, college, pro basketball, and much more. So don't miss out on BetRivers' many daily specials, or try your hand at live player props or same-game parlays. No matter what you bet on, you can count on your withdrawal approval happening fast, with more than 80% of withdrawals approved instantly at BetRivers. So get started with life after football with the BetRivers app. Okay, let's get into it with my action that I pulled the trigger on for the Masters in 2022. And just a heads up, I am not a regular golf handicapper. I'm not an expert. What I have done is gathered great information, analysis, and insight from our experts at VEASAN, co-hosts of the Long Shots podcast. Check it out at VEASAN.com. Brady Cannon, who you can follow on Twitter at Las Vegas Golfer, Wes Reynolds at Wes Reynolds One, and Matt Humans at Matt Humans Two Four Seven. They have been crushing it year after year betting golf. Had a really fun episode this season, getting ready for the Masters with Scott Van Pelt joining the show, among many other guests. Also, Gil Alexander at Joe Pita, who loves betting the the Masters and has strokes gain philosophies. I don't know. He could go more into it, but uh, basically, what I'm saying is based on listening to all these guys, all their episodes, their experts, and how they look to analyze this tournament, this is how I narrowed down my bets. 
I took Justin Johnson at 18 to 1. Seemed like a popular play. Look, we know we won it when they played in November in 2020. He set the course record going 20 under with an overall score of 268. And Jeff Parles, host of Easton's Bet Center, also a numbers game producer, he came on Rush Hour, talked about DJ, and said, well, you know, we're expecting rougher weather conditions at Augusta, and DJ's a guy who could play fairly well throughout that. So I pulled the trigger on DJ 18 to 1. Also at 18 to 1, Cameron Smith, been one of the hottest golfers up to date. The Australian has two wins and four top five finishes in eight starts this season. And his resume at Augusta is equally impressive in four career starts. He has three top 10 finishes, including tied for second in 2020, where he became the only player in tournament history to shoot all four days in the 60s. He's a fantastic putter, and especially on the greens at Augusta. Brooks Kepka, very popular play at 20 to 1. All the VEASAN experts liked him. He's been playing strong as of late. Had to pull the trigger on our guy Brooks. Then you get a little bit further. 45 to 1 took Daniel Berger, who I think is one under right now as I'm looking at the leaderboard here on uh, 11.30 a.m. Thursday. Uh, Berger has played the Masters four times, making the cut in three of those four appearances. Best finish for him came in 2016 when he finished top 10. He has two top five finishes in 2022, and he has finished in the top 20 in the last five out of six tournaments. I pulled the trigger on Berger at 45 to 1. Now, really quick, Daniel Berger and this next player, Russell Henley, who I am playing. Uh, this comes from Joe Pito when he went on a numbers game. He made a list of top 10 guys, gave his reasoning. So if you want more info on that, check out a numbers game from, I believe, Monday morning. Joe Pita has books written on the Masters, so he's a really great handicapper. So I kind of took a couple of these names off of that list. Daniel Berger being one of them at 45 to 1, and then Russell Henley at 16 to 1. 16. At 60 to 1. Yeah, 16 probably wouldn't have taken it. But Russell Henley at 60 to 1. He placed 15th in the Masters in 2018, the last time he was here, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Henley's last two appearances at this event, like we said, he got 15th, and then he also got top 20 the other time. Average finish for him is 13th. He made the cut in each of his two most recent entries into this event, obviously. So, uh, look, Henley's done pretty well. Value could be there at 60-1. to 1. Cameron Champ, a popular long shot, can crush it off the tee, smacks it. Matt Humans liked him, got him almost at 600-1 to 1 at Circa. I got him at 230 to 1. That was the best number here in Illinois. So took Cameron Champ at 230 to 1. Aside from the outrights, I did a top 20 finish and top 10 finish. Uh, top 10 finish, Cameron Smith. We just talked about him. He's been really hot. I like the plus value at plus 163. So I took Cameron Smith, not Cameron Champ, but Cameron Smith to finish top 10 at plus 163. And a couple guys in the top 20 finishes, Daniel Berger at plus 135, who we talked about, and then Russell Henley at plus 163 to finish top 20. So that's what I'm rolling with for the Masters in 2022. Just to recap, Dustin Johnson at 18 to 1, Cameron Smith at 18 to 1, Brooks Kepka 20 to 1, Daniel Berger 45 to 1, Russell Henley 60 to 1, and Cameron Tram 230 to 1. Couple top 20 finishes, Daniel Berger plus 135 and Russell Henley plus 163. Top 10 finishes, Cameron Smith at plus 163. Let me get an update here on the leaderboard, actually. I know Tiger had a pretty good save for par to begin. Let me find this really quick. Uh, we've got Higgs, two under. 
Berger, our guy, one under right now. It's incredibly early, obviously, but I'm just throwing it out there right now. But let me know who you're sweating for the Masters at DandyBurke5 on the tweets. And then let me know if you're doing any in-game betting, too, with the Masters. Always a good angle going into the weekend if you're trying to hedge a little bit or you got some faith in a guy who's looking like they're finding a nice rhythm toward the end of this tournament. So let me know. But let's switch gears, get into it on the hardwood. The Bulls fall victim yet again to another top team. And we know you are not surprised. You saw it coming more than likely. And uh, what, they were catching seven against the Celtics? It really doesn't matter. The Bulls stink. Any adjective you want to use to describe them, that, that's what they are. It's it's excused, like, right? I mean, it's warranted. 117 to 94, they stink. They stunk. They will continue to blow in the postseason. You let Jalen Brown drop 25. You let Al Horford, who's probably 43 years old at this point, drop 17. Tatum got 16. Tice, the former Bull for a brief period of time, dropped 15. See, I I thought Tice, and I get for cap reasons and whatnot, you had to let him go, I guess. But I thought he would be a per Like, that type of guy is who you need instead of a Tristan Thompson to side-by-side -side with Vooch. Oh, speaking of Vooch, yeah, he did play. 13 points, great. DeRozan, 16 points. The defense demolished you. Levine, 7 points. Gross! I bet him over 22.5 points. That was an idiotic move by me. I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight, but, I mean, why are we even trusting these guys? I don't know. I mean, like, I figured because it was second leg of a back-to-back, -back, Levine would get more of the workload as opposed to DeRozan, and it looked like because they didn't put his odds up that DeRozan maybe was going to take a night off. And Levine had done really well against the Celtics. The one time he played against them, I don't know. It was dumb. I regret it. We still have a solid NBA record with our plays on rush hour and here, 53-40. and 40. Had a tough loss in hockey last night, too. Pathetic. Uh, but our record in hockey, 43-29-1. and one. So like I say, if I don't have a show or I'm not talking about the plays here, make sure you check it out. Rush hour, Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Because we are really having a solid NBA and NHL betting season. And looking forward to it with baseball as well. Off the bench, what, you got 10 points from Kobe White. Cool, meaningless game because the guy stunk. Tristan Thompson, same thing, 10 points, doesn't matter. Green, Jones Jr. also got nine as contributions. And even Tony Bradley got involved with five points. <laughs> this is demoralizing. It really is. I get that they didn't stand a chance, but at least you want to see some fight out of this squad. They were all in the minus except for Derek Jones Jr., who was plus two. There's just no will out of this team. Levine clearly isn't 100%. You shouldn't even be playing him now at this point. DeRozan, I give the dude some rest, I guess. I don't know. Look, look, if you have your starters in this game and you're actually still trying, you know what I want to see? I want to see Billy Donovan get ejected from a damn game. I want to see Billy Donovan have some fire under his ass for once this whole freaking season. He's just calm there on the bench, chewing his gum, calling early timeouts. Cool, dude. Like, we had enough of that stupid-ass crap with Jim Boylan not giving. I mean, Jim Boylan at least gave a damn, but he was ludicrous as a head coach. And Billy Donovan is a good coach. We know this. And he can't take all of the blame. Or maybe as much as we're even giving him. But you have to attribute it to someone. And it starts with the head coach. Fire up your team. Get ejected. Yell at the refs for sucking so bad. Get a technical. Vooch is the only one getting technicals out here. I mean, my God. 
You know, you look at baseball, for example, managers do that to spark a fire for their teams. Lou Pinelli used to do it all the time, and it would work. I get it. It's a different sport, but do something different, man. It's clearly not working. It's pathetic. It's embarrassing. You all need to be held accountable. Everyone except for DeMar DeRozan. And honestly, even Io to assume like Io, yes, he makes a lot of mistakes, but he's a rookie and he's being held to an incredibly high standard. That's why it's frustrating sometimes, but you have to take a step back, realize he's a rookie and that the Bulls got him in the second round. So aside from DeRozan, aside from DeSumo, everybody can be held accountable. Patrick Williams, two of seven from the floor, ain't going to cut it. You've had time to come back in the mix. Let's see it. But you still get a little bit of a pass, Patrick Williams. Levine, I get your hurt, but still there's a lot. I mean, 2 and 9, 0 of 5 from deep. Come on, man. Vooch, don't even get me started. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know my thoughts on Kobe White. No point in going into it. It's just really bad all throughout. Javante Green, honestly, is someone who's been fairly consistent. He was 4-6 last night from the floor. Six rebounds. Nine points. They're going to get smacked in the postseason. It's not even close. So I'm just saying, don't get your hopes up because you don't want to get your heart broken. And if by some miracle they do win their first round series, then it will, of course, feel like a miracle and like they just won the championship. That's how bad this team has been. And right now, you're going to face the Bucks, and you will get swept. Oh, it might not be the Bucks. Oh, okay, maybe the Sixers. You will get swept. Oh, not the Sixers, maybe the Celtics. You will lose in five or get swept. <sighs> Moves need to be made this offseason. I had kind of a rant on Twitter about it. We've talked about it here at Nauseam. The Bulls didn't invest in three-point shooters. They invested in defense. Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., Alex Caruso. Yes, Lonzo Ball is out, and he can score, but he's also a perimeter defender. At least he can do both. You look at teams like the Bucks, like the Sixers, like the Heat, like the Celtics. They have role players and even starters who can hit open shots if need be. When you have a lineup of Levine, DeRozan, Vooch, Javante Green, and Caruso, well, considering you don't utilize Vooch in the post, and he's missing open threes, considering that... You have DeRozan who only takes mid-range and Levine who's very hesitant a lot of times or jacks up crap shots and all they do is iso ball. Well, then when you dish it out, what? You have Javante Green and Alex Caruso who can't hit their shots. All right, put in Ayo DeSumo. Can't hit open threes. All right, put in Kobe White. He's a shooter, right? Nope, can't hit threes. You need role players and specialties in the three-point range. Look at a guy like Kyle Korver who the Bulls had. He would hit clutch shots when Rose would drive and kick it and hit it at crucial moments. The Bulls don't have that guy. DeRozan's not a three-point shooter. Levine hasn't been clutch. Kobe White can't even hit the broadside of a barn. Vooch isn't supposed to be a three-point shooter at those points in the games, and when he's gotten the opportunities, rarely does he be consistent with it. Ayudasumu is a rookie, but he's not a three-point shooter. He's defensive. He's energetic, like Caruso, like Javante Green, like Derek Jones Jr. Yes, See what I'm saying? The pattern is the Bulls invested in defensive side of things and the athleticism, and it is not working because the defense sucks. Your transition is good, but it hasn't been consistently great and especially great against top teams where that has been the only advantage you should have over them. You don't capitalize on it. They need to invest in shooters. You got for the Bucks. I mean, look, they got freaking, who is it? Um, Wesley Matthews coming off the bench. Carter, who can hit threes. Grayson, like, they have... 
dominant three-point shooters all throughout. That's what you need in the NBA to compete. Guys who can shoot off the bench. You don't want to go all athletic, all defense, especially if it's not working like it's not for the Bulls right now. And I understand Lonzo can do both and can facilitate and spread open the offense. I get it. But Lonzo is not the sole purpose. The Bulls can't win, let alone even keep it close against these top teams. You should have at least gotten one dang win against the top squad, but you can't even keep it freaking close. They're going to get smacked in the postseason because they have no experience and they don't have those role players who could hit shots. Io doesn't want to shoot threes, nor should he, because he can't hit them. Caruso doesn't want to shoot threes, nor could he, or should he, because he rarely can hit them. Javante Green takes threes and he'll hit them a couple times, but he's not supposed to be a three-point shooter for you out there. Kobe White is, and Kobe stinks. He stinks. The Bulls need to invest in three-point shooting and another big body. Yeah, the rumors have swindled about Anthony Davis. He's a Chicago guy. Lakers are going to collapse and ship out pieces. I don't. If Davis is healthy, I'd gladly take him. Why wouldn't you? You would take him in a heartbeat, let's be honest. I'd even take a Mitchell Robinson, a big body from the Knicks. But you got to get prolific shooters around Lonzo, around DeRozan. Iso ball ain't going to cut it. DeRozan could chuck up 30 mid-range shots a game and drop 25 to 30. Cool. You don't win games like that. Levine has to do more. Your role players have to do more. Billy Donovan, you got to adjust better. You got to scheme better because you haven't done jack squat to do so. You all need to be held accountable except for, again, DeMar DeRozan, Io DeSumo, and you give a pass to Patrick Williams here. I'll give him the pass. Caruso, yeah, he's playing banged up, and he's not supposed to be relied upon for offense. So, you know, you could give a mini pass to Caruso. But, man, there's no hope for this team, guys. The only hope is that they make more big splashes in the offseason. Who knows what's going to happen with Levine and free agency. I I don't even know what, what the strat like who to get off of at this point. I mean, ideally, you get rid of Kobe White. That is more than ideal. But now his stock is so low because he didn't trade him at the deadline when he was performing fairly well. So you're not going to get good return for Kobe White. Patrick Williams, that's your baby. You want to build around him, but maybe you do want to dish him off, okay? Well, he hasn't really done anything great. We just assume he has potential. Yeah, he's got a nice highlight play here and there in every game. So, yeah, you could still have a high stock on him with a full season for sure. We'll see how he does in the postseason. But I don't know. I mean, Vooch? Like, what the hell do you do with Vooch? Who's, who wants to take on Vooch? I don't know. A lot of things for this front office to figure out. They constructed a team that was not meant to survive through adversity. Being these injuries. Or a team just in general, rather, if I can rephrase it. Because they did go through adversity, but it was against crap teams. So let me rephrase it. They did not construct a team that was meant to hang with the big boys. That is obviously a fact at this point. They figured that just their starting five would be enough for offense. They figured they'd get more out of Vooch, yes. They figured they'd get more out of Levine, yes. You didn't imagine to get that much out of DeRozan. But you have. Lonzo being hurt, it's killer. Don't get me wrong. I don't know. I mean, look. 
We have the bar set so high for the Bulls now, and that's why we get hurt by them. But at the same time, folks, I mean, you can't be a one seed. You can't win against these other teams and not have the bar high. And even if we're setting the bar high, don't you think they could at least do the common courtesy of winning against one top team? Like we said, you see the Rockets beat the Bulls. You see the Thunder beat the Suns. They were missing guys. But still, in that game, if the good team was missing players, the Bulls would still find a way to make it close. Like, that's the thing. They can't win comfortably. They can't win against a top team, let alone even keep it within single digits. It's pathetic. And there needs to be drastic alterations to this roster in the offseason. It's true. And it's funny because it just happened and they are making the playoffs because of it, but no way in hell are they getting past the first round with this team, as will be evident come the playoffs. We'll see what they got. How many games left at this point? They got like two games left. <laughs> Make the most of them, I guess. I don't know. Sit the Rosen. Sit Levine. Rest your guys. I don't know. Get your role players some experience so they're not just thrown into the heat in the playoffs when you need some other production. It's a different beast, and only DeRozan and Caruso have experience. And Caruso ain't contributing offensively, so need to find out somewhere else where to get those contributions. All right, that's going to wrap it up for another edition of the CityCast, folks. Enjoy opening day. We'll preview more action with the White Sox tomorrow and just more baseball in general. Good luck with the Masters. Good luck with all your plays. Make sure you check out Rush Hour Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time Live. Out of the Bet River Sportsbook, you can get a hold of it on the Marquee Sports Network, Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, YouTube TV, iHeartRadio. So wherever you get your podcasts available and the VSIN app. And of course, VSIN.com. Thank you again for joining the show. We will be back manana. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, take care.